Welcome to Mission Minded, the podcast where we explore outside-the-box thinking in carrying out Christ's Great Commission. On this episode of the Mission Minded Podcast, we are joined by Glenn Rowden. Glenn is a veteran of the U.S. Army, missionary, and currently serves on staff at Sarasota Baptist Church in Florida. He shares with us stories from his time overseas and how God is using his experience as a missionary now in the U.S. in his church. Now here are your hosts, John and Kristen. Well, thank you so much for being here, Glenn. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Today with us on the Mission Minded Podcast, we have Glenn Rowden. He is a pastor at Sarasota Baptist Church. And Glenn, before you were a pastor, I understand that you've had some other occupations. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Before I became a pastor, I was actually a missionary in Honduras. Um, it was for a ministry called Tree of Life Ministries. I did. It was a basically where I served was at a school. Um, it was at a school for kids in middle school and high school, basically there and uh, their version of that. And it was a scholarship type deal where we were mainly targeting kids in areas where they didn't have that offered to them. And uh, they were scholarships. Some of them paid some money. There was different levels of scholarship depending on the family. And the kids came and lived on the campus where we were. And um, then a lot of those kids, though, were from remote, remote areas in the mountains. And giving their kids an education gave us a chance to get out in the mountains and plant churches in those communities. So I did a, I did a lot of maintenance. I was a mechanic before I was uh, in, the, in the mission field. Um, and I was actually in the Army. I was in the 82nd Airborne. All, I was in the infantry. All the way. So, yeah. When I got called, when I felt called to missions, I was like, well, I was an infantry soldier and a mechanic. I didn't know how that was going <laughs> to work. But sure enough, God had a perfect fit. And I had also done a little bit of part-time work in youth ministry, which really helped with all the students there. And um, just loved God and wanted to go tell people about Jesus. And so worked out. I, I served in the ministry. I was... Uh, I did a lot of maintenance and mechanic work. We had a bus and we had these four-wheel drive vehicles that had to get us up in the mountains. And I also worked with a lot of the students on campus. And there were some places that we went that you couldn't even drive to. You had to hike through the mountains in Honduras. And I'd been to the Jungle Operations Training Center in <clears> Panama. <throat> in the Army. That was no big deal to me. And I was in my 20s. So, you know, <laughs> and my wife and I and my wife and I went together. We were married three months before we left. Wow. Um, Three three and, months after uh, you were married, you left. Yep, we left wow. the mission field. He's the trooper, not me. She'd never even been to Honduras. Um, so part of my proposal was, "Will you marry me and go to Honduras with me?" <laughs> we went with five plastic totes. We didn't. She didn't. She had never seen a picture of the apartment we were going to be living in, and it was trashed. And I we had to live in the missionary basement for three weeks <laughs> while I fixed the apartment. And then we got in, and so that's, that's true we love right there. there. Oh yeah, man! I have a new uh, new respect. Yeah, <laughs> she taught English and uh, at the mm. school and with some and and worked with the girls. Um, we also had our first son. We were there for two years. We were there two thousand one, two thousand two. Um, our first son was born February two thousand two, and so we had our first son. So the second year we were there, we had our first baby. And um, but Honduras is a very baby friendly country, so it gets you in front of the line at the bank and everything else is great. so that's what we did we did a lot of i did a lot of church planning a lot of trips in the mountains a lot helping help and i was trying to help train some of the hondurans there and some maintenance work so 
you know, that it was giving some of these kids skills, but it was also helping me be able to do it. And I actually learned as much from the guys there and, and probably more, especially in that context than I ever thought I was going to, than I ever taught everybody. Mm. But, uh, it's kind of the gist of it. But, mm. uh, so, uh, I did, um, we did church planning. We did a lot of church planning. We saw several new <clears> churches <throat> planted out there. Um, we got into some areas, believe it or not, there's areas in Honduras where people had not heard the gospel and uh, we were able to be, there was a couple of places I was like the first or second white guy to ever get up that deep in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So that was always fun. People were pretty interested in why we were there. And, uh, but a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot of neat experiences. And then from there, I went back to, uh, from there, we actually got called by the church that sent us to come <clears> back and be pastors. And uh, that was so we were there for 2001 in the year 2002. We were there for two years, and uh, it's pretty cool how we had prayed about it. We were open to stay in Honduras forever or come back or whatever God was leading us. And my the pastor, it was a large church I was involved in, the pastor and the missions pastor came on a trip for me to take him up in the mountains. And while we were on that trip, they offered me a job to come back and be one of the missions pastors. So we ended up doing that. And then I've been back in the States since then doing getting to travel around a lot of other parts of the world as well. So that was really cool. Mm. Okay. Great. So, okay. So you were, um, yeah, just, just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think your, your background is unique. I think a lot of people here at iTech have this kind of convoluted, um, you know, multiple discipline background. And so I, I, um, I just remember when I, you know, when I met you, um, was at a cookout and then somebody said, Oh, you got to meet this guy. He was in the army. He was a, diesel mechanic and so i'm like okay yeah this is uh so and and just you know some of the stories that you told um just about your experience there reminded me of some of the you know the great you know the great omission some of our listeners are familiar with steve saint's book and and just talking about missions from the receiving end and you know you Mm -hmm. actually got to live down there versus you know, like a lot of us are just dropping in for a week or two at a time and not really getting the full effect. You know, Steve Saint, when he actually lived among the Waldani for a year and a half, got a real feel for what life was like for them and what, you know, what missionaries were doing for them. Again, all well-intentioned, um, you know, with the intent of helping them, but, you know, just just really people weren't really having to see what what the, what was happening with with their well-intentioned efforts and so you know i'd love to you know you, you know i'd love to hear you share you know some of those you know you said the story about the the string trimmers and the zero turn so i mean i thought that was i'd love for our listeners to hear that i mean you, i'm sure you have other stories too we're, we're open to more and but um <clears throat> you know just just could you share some of your you know your experience um you know, on, on the ground and what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, part of my job there while I was there, I also hosted mission teams. We had a lot of mission teams come in and mission teams are great. Um, you get people praying for you, you get, so I don't want to discourage short-term missions in Mm -hmm. any way. There's just a way that people go about it. And, uh, there, so sometimes people are there and, and uh, I try to help them that we used to have a term, Hey, why do they do it that way? And I say, cause it's Honduras, it's not America. You know, it's not the U.S., it's Honduras. That was a mm. thing I said because they didn't get why. And there's a story about these weed whackers. It's kind of just encapsulates the whole attitude I had to deal with all the time. 
Um, so in our in our place, they had a big soccer field and some fields, and we had middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? So the girls had different jobs because these kids had to do jobs. We they worked around the school, and the boys. One of their big jobs was cutting the grass. Now in Honduras, when it's time to cut the grass, you get your young son and you hand him a machete and you say go cut the grass and they would stand out there and they would just swing these machetes and cut grass there'd be about 20 of them they'd just fan out and after a couple hours sometimes three and it's hot yes but that is where they live and um the grass would get cut well these the americans came you know a short-term team and and uh, these people were appalled that these kids they're cutting the grass with a machete this is horrible (laughs) i'm like Guys, let me tell you something. You know what? That kid's great-great-grandfather cut the grass that way. His great-grandfather cut the grass that way. His grandfather cut the grass that way. His father cut the grass that way. He's cutting the grass that way. And guess what? His son's going to cut that grass that way. His great-grandson, <laughs> his great-grandson. It's it's not an issue. It's not something that that kid is like, I can't believe I have to cut the grass with this machete. Well, they they were just like, this is horrible. This is ridiculous. They could get this done so much more, so much qu- more quick, and they could spend more time on their studies and become a better person and all this. And they're like, we need to get them some weed whackers and get them sent down here, string trimmers, whatever you want to call them. And um, I'm from the South. We call them weed whackers. But uh, we get them some weed whackers, and I'm like thinking in my mind, you don't understand what you're saying. These things are two-stroke, two-cycle things. They need oil mixed with gas and like, Oh, no, no, we're going to get these. If we get four of them, they'd be cheap. I'm like, dude, they those things take gas. They take, you know, two-cycle oil. We will give you enough money each year to buy enough of it for the year and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, man. I didn't want to do it, but I was not the head guy in the ministry. And the head guy didn't want to make these guys mad because they, you know, they, they donate a lot of money and stuff. And that's sometimes the case. And um, so he said, oh, let him do it. It'll be fine. And because I'm the one who has to deal with it anyway. But um, so they, they those things get shipped down there and we get the gas, we get everything. I'm trying to make this is just and by the way, nobody would none of the Hondurans were complaining about. I mean, kid, typical teenagers, they don't want to cut the grass. But like my kid doesn't want to cut the grass with a lawnmower. But but they weren't complaining about using machete to cut sure. the grass. And so that was like. All right, we get these things there. I get I get a gallon jug, and I get one of those little things, little like the right so- amount of oil to put in. And you can only use this kind of oil, guys. You know, and <laughs> you can't. And it's got to go in this gallon jug. Don't try to mix this much with the five gallon. It's got to be a right mix. I'm explaining all this to them. I'm like, you got to keep it here. And every single one of these, don't just put gas in it. Whoa, okay. They, and so fine i i wrote everything out like we we're in spanish i got everything not not just in english i explained it to him in spanish we had like things written on the side of the gas cans everything and so a week week and a half i'm sitting out there and i hear this weed whacker making the most hideous noise i've ever heard and i see black smoke pouring out and everything i run over there and it's one of the two one of the older students is using it because the older guys got to use them and they thought they were cool. I mean, they really liked them. But I'm like, what's going on with this thing? I'm looking. It's it's a it's destroyed basically. And I'm thinking, where? What kind of gas did you put? Oh, you know, I did what you told me. They just told me. You know, I'm like, no, take me and show me. Show me the gas. You. Well, the gas can that we had, I had gotten was gone, because you know somebody needed it for something else. You know, and and so they just figured they they'd eye up a gallon. Of gas and this other gas can 
well, where's the oil that I gave you for the, you know, the, the two cycle oil? Uh, I think someone took it and put it in one of the, you know, their car or something like oh, that. No. And, and I'm like, well, I hope it's not one of ours and somebody else's car and it's far away from there. And then I'm like, well, what oil did so you didn't put any oil in? No, no, we put oil in. Well, we had oil for like our bus and stuff. And they just like use that oil and just, well, where's the little container that showed? Well, we just poured a little bit in and like, so here's the thing. These guys... I knew this was going to happen. That's the problem. And it's not that they're stupid. They're not. They're very smart and very. I mean, these guys, I've never seen some of the ingenuity come Creativity, from people. As yeah. I saw some of these guys in the mountains. But this was just not something they dealt with. They never dealt with these things. So they didn't understand. It's, n- it's not a matter of being stupid. It's a matter of something completely out of their context that they just don't get the importance of it. And a culture thing where nothing is like... You, this is a culture that just it's nothing to grab someone else's stuff and take it, which is actually kind of a good thing. They, they share everything mm. and because they don't have one of everything like Americans do. Mm. And so they share everything. So you, you can't just leave something, expect it not to be gone somewhere later. It just did not fit their culture. All the weed whackers were destroyed within a month. All four of them. Oh, man. <laughs> and guess what? Guess what they came to me and said? Hey, Glenn, hermano Glenn, you got to call that guy. He's got to send us more weed whackers. I'm like, dude, guys, that guy ain't sending any more weed whackers. We find out we destroyed all four of them in a month. <laughs> they were like, but now we don't have any weed whackers. How are we going to cut the grass? I'm like, these people for the, their whole lives and their parents' lives have been cutting with a machete, and all of a sudden they have a problem that they didn't have a month ago. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to get the grass cut? It was just like it just that story. It's goofy. It's funny. But that is the epitome of uh, it, it just encapsulates so many problems I encountered with uh, not all Americans, but many Americans coming in, trying to solve <clears throat> problems people don't have. It's basically trying to make them Americans and, and trying to you're, you're not contextualized. You're, you're in a different context. I used mm-hmm. to always say you're not in the U.S. You're in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Stop comparing and just you, you're going to if you would let yourself, you're going to learn a lot from their culture that mm-hmm. are things that we could probably do better with back home. There are. Yes, there are problems with their mm-hmm. culture, too, just like there's problems with our culture. Right. Um, we did the same. I, I have a lot of yard equipment stories, but um, I don't know. <laughs> but, hey, we, it, have uh, a, we have yeah. a small engine training department. You can tell those stories around here. Uh, so so we actually that. that another one very similar situation this was after i was a missions pastor um and we would go into the dominican republic and we were doing ministry through baseball score international and they had baseball and uh so we would send baseball teams to play and show the gospel and stuff and they went to one field in this village and of course there were kids out there cutting the grass with machetes and this whole baseball field oh my goodness what that's why they're beating you at baseball they're in good shape you know (laughs) and so but anyway they uh they were like we got to get them a lawnmower and and you can buy lawnmowers in those countries in the city sometimes you know it's you pay a ton of money for them so these guys are on a short-term mission trip these are they're determined do, do we have to get these people a lawnmower they have to use a lawnmower i think mean, you know lawnmower well at least it's gas and stuff but i'm against it from the beginning but i wasn't on that short-term trip and uh i came a year later with another crew to come see the same place 
And one of the guys who had bought the lawnmower was there. And he's like, where's the lawnmower? Because the field was a little, little grass. Long, no one's mowed the grass. Where's the lawnmower? And the guy, one guy doesn't even know he's the guy who bought the lawnmower. It's over there. There is a lawnmower with grass growing up around it, sitting there. It's like totally trashed. It's like, you know, it, it won't start. It has dents in it. I flipped it over. The blade looks like somebody tried to mow their rock garden with it or something. It was just... Looks like they tried to cut tree stumps with it or something. I don't know. The whole lawnmower was destroyed. And so this guy's upset now. You know, I bought this lawnmower and you didn't take care of it. You know, and I'm like, hey, why don't we calm down for a second? We'll find out what happened to the lawnmower. Where's what happened to the lawnmower? The baseball field is right in the middle of town. And everybody in town who has little grass, some of them have grass places and stuff, are watching them mow the, the baseball field with this lawnmower. And you know what they're thinking. Man, I want to mow my. Can, it's just my little yard right here. Let me mow my yard, sure. and then they let one guy mow his yard, and then the other. Because they're people who share stuff with each <clears> other, <throat> so they all it, it turned into the village lawnmower, not just the baseball field lawnmower. And but when you have everybody who doesn't ever use a lawnmower, they're like, I wonder if this lawnmower will cut these stumps I have over here. You know, I wonder what it'll do. <laughs> I don't have. I can't YouTube and see what a lawnmower will do. So they had YouTube back then. But anyway, it was just like. Um, it was crazy that this lawnmower it just got destroyed and then parked at the edge of the baseball field and was just sitting there as a monument mm. to uh, basically what we're talking about. Huh. <laughs> so it's a lot of stories like that. It's I think the issue that I found there was, is is this really a problem for them? Because mm-hmm. if it's a problem for you, well, you, you can deal with it. If it's mm-hmm. not a problem for them, mm-hmm. don't, you know. And then the other thing they weren't thinking about, well, if it is a problem, maybe they have resources here that they could solve the problem with. Um, That's kind of, there was another, we went to Brazil and Brazil, there was a baseball ministry there, but the people, they're really like soccer. But this guy who was the missionary was a baseball guy. And so it, it baseball is kind of an expensive sport. Like Dominican Republic, it's very popular. But Brazil baseball, where we were, wasn't very popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, soccer, soccer, Brazilian jiu-jitsu maybe or something. But the reason that soccer is super popular, I kind of feel like in some of those countries, is between 20 of you, if you can get one ball and a flat piece of ground, and some, you know, you can play soccer, yeah. you know. Baseball you need bats, gloves, balls. You need something for bases. You need some sort of backstop. And and so we were having to bring all this baseball gear into the, and the kids were excited. Like they thought, wow, this is cool. The new sport they, to try out. It's like a novelty. But I started talking to some of the nationals there and they were, they, I found out some of the nationals were like, this is just so hard to do this because we run out of equipment all the time. Equipment gets taken, equipment gets mm-hmm. worn out, and we can't replace that here. <clears throat> they, they, the one guy said, he's like, I don't know why that they're trying to teach everybody baseball. He said, because, you know, we're spending more time trying to get them to like baseball, and then we have to get them to like the gospel once they like baseball. Mm. <laughs> so. Mm. It's like we're, we're trying to preach baseball and then the gospel. Well, we could just come in and do something they're already doing that we don't have to resource hmm. and then share. But hmm. A lot of stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know if that 
Yeah, John, that reminds me of the five principles that we talk about a lot here mm -hmm. at iTech, the five principles for having a sustainable long-term impact on a short-term trip. Um, and, and when the first first one of those principles is uh, learn to listen and let the indigenous church tell you what their needs are because I think oftentimes as Westerners it's easy to go somewhere that's out of our own context and perceive a need that's it's just not there it doesn't exist so that's what that reminds me of well and and to you know some of the sustainability economic development principle that ABCD the asset-based community development model is we we tend to look at what they don't have Mm -hmm. And and sometimes they even think that way when they they look at themselves in light of us. But you know what do they have? What assets do they have? You know, in in you know, and a lot of times, you know, there's there are assets in the community that we aren't seeing, you know, that that are already there mm -hmm. that we aren't utilizing. And 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 it's a it's a challenge that we have to Glenn of working with people. It's hard sometimes to work with ministries or churches that are just used to giving stuff away and they don't really have a vision for sustainability. And, and then sometimes if you're going to try to work with a national partner who's been on the receiving end of that, they get accustomed to that of, oh, you're mm -hmm. the you're the American group. You're going to come bring us stuff. And we're trying to say, no, we, we want to we want to empower you. We want to try to give you some skills and some training. But we're you know, we don't. We, we want to have a vision for sustainability, you know, and it's the, it's the, it's the thing that we wrestle with in all our different training disciplines, um, whether it's, you know, medical and dental supplies that have to be resupplied after the training's over or, you know, where are they going to get their small engine parts or so it's, it's just a question that we have to wrestle with and thinking about of, you know, are we doing something that is going to be a sustainable ministry for them or it's just going to be a burden, you know, if, is, is baseball going to be a blessing or is it going to be a burden of, oh, now we have to have a glove for every kid? You know, before we just bought a soccer ball for 20 people and that was good and we made some goals out of whatever we had, you know. And so so I think those are things that when you're in a resource-rich environment like the U.S., you don't necessarily have to ask those questions. You're not really forced to. And it's easy to come in and say, oh, we'll just let's just start playing baseball here. You know, and, and, and that's – so I think that – you know, a lot of those things that you're saying of the, the danger of solving a problem that someone else is not having. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, I would say this, it's particularly in Honduras where I live. My, my buddy, Oscar, he was a mechanic, a Honduran mechanic that I worked with in the ministry and we would have to fix. And, you know, we have 19, we had a lot of like 1980s Toyota pickup trucks. Those little four wheel drive pickup trucks. The Hilux. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, but we would be working on them and there have been times when I was like, dude, what are we going to do? We can't fix this because we got to go get this part. And he's like, oh, you're not going to find that part around here. Well, well, then we can't, then this truck is my attitude as an American who, you know, we order the part or we don't, you know, or you tell the people we can't fix it. And uh, he's like, no, 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 no. And he's wandering around the little garage thing we had. He's just walking around. I'm like, what are you looking for, dude? What are we can't fix this car? What are you going? What are you wasting your time? And and I can't I can't remember any specifics so long ago. But I remember so many times. I wish I could tell you a specific partner. There were so many times he found something laying around in that shop that he was able to rig. Now I'm not going to say it was the best, most dependable fix in the world, but he was able to rig so we could use that vehicle. Like mm -hmm. we have to have the vehicle for tomorrow, or we can't go to the. 
And, and then the funny thing is they're just carefree. Like we drive off into the mountains. I'm praying the whole time. <laughs> I saw what he did to fix this thing. I hope it holds together. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, he, I'm like, nope, we're done. He's like, no, nah, man, we got to find something, you know? And it's just the ingenuity that comes from not having stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when you start <clears throat> influxing stuff in, you're taking that in- ingenuity away that is so often is their best thing they have to mm-hmm. work in that environment. And it, and that environment creates that for them. Mm-hmm. They're like Oscar and I like complete different education, but he was, I learned pretty quickly. This guy was very intelligent and it was actually mm-hmm. a better mechanic than me, even though I had mm-hmm. went to a, a good mechanic school in the United States and he had been to like a, a mechanic school with a, I mean, we had engines we rebuilt and everything in my school I went to and it was Ohio auto diesel tech in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And this kid went to a mechanic school where, they didn't even have a full car to work on. And this guy was fixing things that I didn't even know was possible. And, uh-huh. and so that really started to work in my head. Like, wow, these, <clears throat> I don't need to look down on these guys. That's the problem. We as Americans, sometimes we come and we look down Well, they're, mm-hmm. they're just so uneducated and they just don't have a chance, you know, well, they're actually a lot smarter than you think. Mm-hmm. And, but then I, then I have the situations where, where I was even a part of things where and it creates not only just, a lack of ingenuity, but it creates jealousy because you can't give everything to everybody and you actually create rifts between we were church planning. Um, I know so much more about church planning now because all the mistakes I made in church planning when I started <laughs> in the mountain. But um, we, it was a big deal. Like we started some of these churches just meeting in somebody's house or out in their little front porch or whatever, you know, and then we would get big enough. We're like, Oh, we need to build them a church building now like a little church building sometimes they'd have a plot of land or the village would have a place where they the whoever was in charge of the village how it worked so you can build something here and we would actually try to bring cement rebar and build like a, a and all this stuff and so we were doing that for this one village and then a place where we were planning a church in another village all of a sudden they heard we were building a building over there they're like well our church can't grow anymore I'm like, why? Their church was busting at the seams and growing and growing. People were coming to Christ. Well, because we don't have a building. I mean, and I'm like, what, what do you mean? You haven't had a building ever. And you like, have reached all these people. Yeah. Well, we need a building. You know, people now people say they'll come when we're a real church with a building, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because it was across the river where we were building the building and they all knew about it. And then even that guy who we were building the building for um began to and this guy was actually a guy who was helping start other churches all over he was our main guy he was amazing man with a second grade education planted the probably the most churches i've ever seen anyone plant he was just respected in the community he was a godly guy he um he had one bible we got him a this is i think something we did do he could read and he he learned to read pretty well we got him a spanish study bible like, mm-hmm. so not just about, but a Bible, like, like a Nelson, I think study Bible in Spanish. And that was that guy's prized possession. And he used that to study for his sermons and everything. And he, he had that study Bible and, um, that was something you couldn't get out there in the mountains at all. And so he, but so he would go around and he would help train other pastors, but we started building that church in his town. And there's this funny story. I was coming I used to drive in a little truck and I drove with my two of my Honduran buddies. I never went somewhere without a national because 
even after I was there a long time, I can't pick up on all the social cues always or know when something I would drive right into the most dangerous thing, not knowing even after I'd lived there a year. So they were like, Hey, let's, let's go around this. Let's not stop here. Let's go. And uh, so I had these two guys with me. We were heading down the mountain. We were bringing rebar and cement in one of those old Toyota pickup trucks. I didn't have it in four wheel drive because I was too lazy. We're going down the mountain. I'm just, I'm leaving two wheel drive cruise down the mountain. Well, all of a sudden we're starting to go real fast. I hit the brake. I pressed the brake and the brake just bangs against the floor. Just like plank, 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 no brakes, no brakes coming, winding down the side of a mountain, like cliff on <clears throat> one side, cliff on the, I mean, wall on one side, cliff on the other. Oh, man. And we're winding down. I'm like, really thought, well, going to die. You know, <laughs> I'm going to die. I hope my wife, I don't have any life insurance. Hope she's not mad at me, you know? <laughs> so I was thinking, man, I might, maybe I should just put the truck into the side of the mountain right here and slow down. But I was afraid it would either ricochet us off. But then of course my 200 buddies don't, they never wear their seat belts. They didn't have their seat belts on. So even if we did, I'm like, no, then they're going to launch the windshield and die. And then I'll have killed two people and I won't want to go back. So all this stuff. And so we're cruising along. Finally, we find this, it was the last spot too, before the rest of the mountain, there's this huge wide turn coming up ahead of us. We, I tried the emergency brake that didn't do anything. I tried to downshift that didn't work. Cause once I got into neutral, I couldn't get it back into gear, which was dumb. And I just was in neutral flying down the mountain. And so we came up to this really wide turn and I just swung out wide. They thought I was driving off the cliff cause that turn kind of fit. They're screaming at me. I'm like, shut up. You know? <laughs> I did pray at one point and the prayer went like this god help us because i was just i didn't have this long prayer and uh we just i cranked the wheel and we did one of those just spin outs like we just the truck slid around in a 360 and all of a sudden we were stopped and we were facing back up the hill and we were just sitting there like no way we're alive and then i'm like and then they, then we're just looking at each other and the car starts rolling backwards. I'm like, get out, throw a rock under the tire, <laughs> you know, get a rock or something. We got to stop this thing. We got out, there's rocks everywhere. We threw a rock under the tire and uh, we, we made it, you know, we lived and then we just put it in four wheel drive and in low gear and rode the rest of the way there with no brakes. And um, no big deal. Well, that's all you can. I mean, you're in the middle of the mountains, it's not the gas station or something. So we had to get somewhere and uh, I actually drove all the way back home with no brakes too <laughs> and low four, but, uh, and it was a two, uh, two and a half or two hour, hour and a half drive, depending on, but, uh, anyway, we got there though. And we're telling this pastor, this story, I tell you all this to tell this part. We're telling this pastor, the story, man, we almost died on the mountain, man. God saved us and all this stuff. And he's like, man, I'm so glad you guys made it. First of all, cause you're my friends. But second of all, if you had to die, we wouldn't be able to have a church anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, we wouldn't be able to have a church if you guys die. He goes, we wouldn't have any more rebar or, or mm. cement. <clears throat> and uh, I'm like, I'm like, wait, 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 Tomas, you have the gospel. Romans, you know, one sixteen says it's the power of God for the salvation of men. I mean, dude, you don't need rebar and, and, but, I, I, it grieved my heart when we were driving back and I was trying to drive all the way back home without brakes. But I was thinking when I wasn't thinking about, oh, don't die, you know, um, man, what have we done? What have I done to this poor guy? This is the guy who lived his whole life in a town with no electricity. I mean, basically in the base of a mountain in a valley, they, they, he's never had electricity in his life. 
he, he, one night we were sitting and we, I used to stay at his house and sleep over at his house. We were good friends. And, and, uh, one night we'd stay up late after church service talking and drinking coffee when it's like a thousand degrees out and I'd be sweating so bad. None of them would be sweating, but I just did it anyway. And, um, he said, Hey Glenn, I heard something. I heard that in the United States that you have stores that only sell coffee. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're called coffee shops, you know, it's in <laughs> He's like, they, there's, they just have a shop where you, they only sell coffee. Yeah, you go in and get a cup of coffee and you sit and, you know, talk to people and stuff. Don't people there have coffee in their house? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they do. But they want to go to a shop and drink the coffee. It was just all my mm. world was completely foreign to him. Mm. Completely foreign. And for me to try to make my world, make his world more like my world was not what Tomas needed. And mm. so now I'm just preaching, but I just, it, <laughs> well, it all, it all kind of fits together. No, but, I but I think, I think, yeah, you, you bring up, you know, this, the unintended consequences of his church wasn't good enough. Well, once, once we bring in this idea that, oh, you have to have a building, you know, we weren't, you weren't saying that, but the unintended message that he got was mm. that a church without a building wasn't good enough. And then the only way now to have church is if, and so I think there are, you know, you think about, um, you know, the, I mean, Steve Saint, you know, tells stories about, you know, people coming down, building a church for the Waodani, you know, it's like, well, you know, we don't own this. It's, 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 you know, the, the foreigners came and built this. It's, it's not, um, you know, they don't own it. They don't, it's in, you know, all the unintended messages that you send, you know, Bridgeco tells that story. The foreigners built a church that was square and their culture, you know, round. It was perfection. And, you know, why would you build a church for the house of God if it was something that was square and not round? You know, just some of those cultural things. Yeah. And so I, I guess, you know, I, even some of the things you said earlier and maybe diverting a little bit, but just, I mean, just in terms of people aware, like a country like Honduras is an evangelized country, but you have these pockets within some you know some of these country you know we we had a um joshua chang has a ministry green window and focuses on the jungle peoples of the world and a lot of these people are located within evangelized countries but you have these pockets of people just because of terrain and language and especially if it's like a tribal area where very restricted who can go you know these these there are you can have people within an evangelized country that still haven't heard the gospel and so I think that's a that's a that's a thing that you know we don't always think about. Um, you, you mentioned that. Um, I, I guess I guess what I would you know, in what you know you part of your role now. You're a you were a missions. So you you left um, you left and you went back to Georgia, right for 15 years. Am I right on your timeline? Yeah. And then and then yeah. you, and then you then from there you came to Sarasota, and you've been you know you've Promise. been in the. My brother lives there. It's uh, I love it here. It's 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 a nice place. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I, I guess you know you you were you were a missions pastor in Georgia. Now that's part of your role at your church there. And so so I guess I would say what you know when you're thinking about missions, you know, for your church and and people, you know, I'm sure you have people that want to serve long term as missionaries. You have people that want to do short term work. What do you what is your goal? What are what are things? And maybe we've already heard it, but what are things that you want to instill? 
you know, as a missions pastor who's lived in a different context, who's been on the receiving end of short-term teams, how does that influence today what you do, what you teach, you know, whether you're in Georgia, whether you're in, you know, Sarasota, I'm just kind of curious, what are your goals um, when you're, you know, trying to, you know, disciple and, and your, your congregation, what are, what are some things that you're going to try to instill in the people that, you know, that you've, you know, pastored over the years? So one of the things my overseas experience has helped me is, is talking to nationals and listening to the nationals, listening to the people on the ground has been huge. Um, cause, uh, you know, I want to know what they need. If they have, what's their vision? What are they trying to accomplish? What are they, what, and, and what are they trying to accomplish? And so where are the holes that, that maybe we can help? And, 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 so, and ideally those, those holes that we can find a way for us to help, that'll be reproducible for them. Mm-hmm. And it's a slower pace. The other thing I've learned is it's not always going to be as efficient. Like efficiency is so important for Americans. And I have Americans that go on a short-term mission trip I have seven days to make the biggest difference. I'm taking seven days off work. Like I've gotten this speech from all these, you know, <laughs> I've taken seven days off work and I am call, I've paid for this trip and I want to make the biggest difference possible. And yeah, I said, you know, yeah, you want to make you, then they want to see it. That's the problem. They don't mm-hmm. realize you're actually going to make less of a difference. You just want to see it right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to explain like, <clears throat> we're going to make a bigger difference and we may not get to see as much of it while we're here. Hmm. And, uh, um, to be, to go a little slower, not expect results like that second on the, on the, t- and, and recognizing that, that the culture is different. Sometimes guys get mad cause we'll spend, an, we'll go to a village and we're going to go evangelize and we'll spend an hour and a half first talking to the, the pastor and his family and some of the church members. And, and I get people, why are we sitting around talking to these people? Let's go. Uh, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> these are the people that we need to get to know because they're going to give us valuable information. But also, they're the people who are going to carry on this work. Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's invest in them. Let's That's take time good. and talk to them. Here, if if we came, I try to explain to them, if we came here and we encouraged them and we're able to give them some some tips or some things that, that would help them go out and reach all these people, then we've done just as good, if not better, than if we went out door to door and we got to go home with our little story about Pedro, who, you know, and make everybody cry and stuff. And I understand that equipping nationals to do the work doesn't give you the make everybody cry stories all the time. <clears throat> Sometimes it does. But uh, it, that that's one way I look at it. The other way is even when selecting partnerships, just um, making sure they have a vision. And, and it's, I mean, my end too, as, as, as I feel as a pastor, the, I got to remember this. The biggest problem people have is their sin problem. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, this is my, uh, my, I believe my primarily goes, go, if we look in the Bible, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. That is our goal. And I want to partner with people that that's their goal. Now that may involve fixing a problem of getting water to their, it may involve getting a micro business started so they can have some income. It may involve a lot of these things, but the end goal, do they share the same end goal I do? And does my team has to understand that, that, and my team has to understand that, that it's not, you know, the United States, we're not going to make them Americans. Mm -hmm. We're going to make disciples 
and, and even even contextualizing the way they live out their faith. I mean, obviously, the biblical things of, of morality, you know, and, and things like that are the same and loving God, the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, those all. But even how they how when they do church, how they do church, the, the, like we, we even try to do that sometimes like, well, they didn't do it this way. They're not using, you know, and like, well, there's a lot of different things in their culture that may be different and uh, that aren't necessarily against the Bible. They're just different than when we do it. So. Mm-hmm. I really, and I also think that one thing that I learned over the years is preparing people more before a trip is much better. That sometimes you just, I've actually been on mission teams in the past at my old church. We had a bunch of guys leading teams. And what I got to prepare for that trip was a packing list and a flight itinerary. <laughs> like, you know, and a, and a sheet of, you know, what this some rules for the church mission teams, you know, mm-hmm. but no, content, no, no, like learning about the place, no contextualization, mm-hmm. nothing like that. You're just dropped off in this place. And um, I think training people ahead of time and just training them in some of what we're talking about, like these stories I've been sharing with y'all, I share a lot in, in my training things because it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. The, the, all these stories kind of fall <clears throat> under the same mindset. And if I can get people to go, Hey, you're going there as much as a learner as you are as a teacher. And you need to keep, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak is really good on a mission trip. And because quite often we don't listen and ask questions, ask good questions. Um, and if you don't understand things, say, you know, I'm, I'm really quick to say, wow, our culture is so much different. I understand. Can you explain that better? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then and then there's going to be things about their culture that are that are like, man, I feel, I, I'm glad I live in the United States. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. But there's going to be some things that you're like, wow, man, we mm-hmm. could, and, and I, what I like to do is say, man, we could learn a lot from you guys. Because mm-hmm. sometimes even the nationals, when we come, we're the Americans. You know, these are the rich Americans that are so much of, I, I've had people, well, you're an American. You, you know so much more than me. I'm like, not really, you know. I, some, some places hate Americans. I've been there too. <laughs> I've been, I spent a night in jail in Kashmir. They weren't super impressed with Americans, but, uh, um, but a lot of places I have, because you're an American, they think so much of you. And I'm like, really, it, it, we all have something to offer. We're all created in God's image. We are all, Jesus loved us all enough to die for us. He has given us all gifts that we can share with each other. And so I try to kind of, I think the biggest things are how I partnering and listening to nationals that have a, have a vision that that fits with what we're trying to do. I've gotten pretty quick to sniff out people. They're just looking for resources. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah. they just want. Like as soon as I get a list of things for your group to bring, like peanut butter and all this other, you know, recycle oil. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I don't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I that's not really what I'm looking for. I I recognize that we need to be generous and we need there there are times when we need to give people things that aren't reproducible to solve a problem I, it's it's rare um it, it, there there have been times when I've done that even still because I couldn't think of another solution it was just helping them get over a hump or something mm-hmm. I don't want to throw out absolutes like never help anyone right. never right. give it anything. right but I'm very I have to have a really good reason like there has I have to really think it through um and it's about empowering them that and I try to share that's I'm looking for people who are who are go-getters who who just need a little bit of mm-hmm. you know empowering 
not do it for them, not. And, and we also do one thing I've also started doing is I don't do like partnerships. Like I, I made this mistake in the beginning. We're just going to partner with you. And because uh, when you say that, they they just heard I'm going to give you money every month till Jesus comes back or die, you know. <laughs> and so we've actually we do uh, d- depends three year partnerships would be a longer one, and we could you know continue that partnership, but we will actually say and we'll have it in writing and everything and and, mm-hmm. and signed and stuff just because people tend to have selective memory when you just verbally make agreements. And so we'll just write, hey, we want to do a three-year partnership with you guys. And But we'll set goals. Like, what are your goals for the next three years and that we can help you with? And, um, so they we come up together and talk. I want to hear their goals. And we write that out together, what their goals are. And then we start this partnership. But then we don't just wait three years and say, well, you didn't achieve any of those goals. You did something else. We're not helping you anymore. No, we each year we 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 either you know communicate through zoom or whatever or uh in person and sit down how to go with those goals this year is there anything we need to modify is there any way that and how are we doing at helping you achieve these goals and um so it's much more of a a partnership than it used to be it's like hey you guys know how to reach your people how can we help you do it it's more of a mutual respect which i didn't start out that way i'll have to admit I started out that way thinking, man, these poor people in all these other countries need the big American to come in and help them, you know. And I've eventually learned that, no, nah, it's not necessarily the case. And well, they do. They, God has called us to help them. But, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing nationals from other countries go out to, in, on the mission field. Like I work <laughs> with a guy in Peru. They're sending people from Peru to the Middle East that are doing better than mm-hmm. an American ever could. And so it's pretty awesome. Well, it, it is exciting. You see the trends in missions where, um, you know, you see the global South rising up and starting to send out workers. You know, we had a guy affiliated with iTech. He was from Bolivia who was a missionary in India for several years, yeah. you know, and, and you see these, um, you know, these other nations rising up and, you know, like Nigeria used to be a missionary receiving country. Now Nigeria is sending out missionaries, you know, Capro and SIL, all kinds of other groups that are sending out missionaries. So, you know, one of the things you said, you know, it kind of goes, reminds me of something that Steve Saints, you know, just because people don't have a lot of money and they're not formally educated doesn't mean they're unintelligent. You know, you said that earlier of, you know, just kind of seeing what people, assets they have, resources and, and, and to come alongside. And also, you know, like what you said of, you know, think about who's better, you know, think, I mean, think about being an American, growing up in America, just the, inside jokes, the context, like things we laugh about, joke about, how long that would take for somebody to move to this country, learn the language to a level, you know, these people are in a much better situation. And sometimes we're, if maybe it's a near culture, you know, like a Samaria culture for them, that might be the ends of the earth for us, where, you know, if somebody's in a near culture, they're in a much better situation potentially to, to reach than, than somebody from, you know, one of us that might be in a way different culture, you know, where it might have, and, and that was the Waodani's plea to Steve saying, well, if you teach us how to do these things, we can go reach our neighboring tribes, you know, these yeah. we will use. And, and, and so I think it is, you know, you, you know, it's not the West to the rest, you know, it's, it's, it's all of us. And, 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 and the West still has a role to play. You know, we had Steve Richardson on, um, a few months ago, but just, you know, the, the West, our role is changing. There's still a role for us, but it, it you know, it, it, it's, it's, 
becoming less and less of us sending the frontline workers and there's still a place for that and that still needs to happen but a lot of times it's reaching it's reaching out to you know some of these you know indigenous believers in other nations and, and trying to come alongside them and help them and equip them you know and, and utilize the assets that they have and, and help them <clears throat> so and Glenn it's been so encouraging to hear these stories from your time on the field and how you're using your experiences now in ministry here in the States. I've, I know that everyone listening will be refreshed and hope probably a new perspective for a lot of people to hear mm-hmm. from this end of it. So I'm just, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And thank you for watching the Mission Minded Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Mission Minded. For more information on today's topic and show notes, please visit our website, itechusa.org. Mission-Minded Podcast is produced by iTech. The goal of this podcast is to inspire conversations about Great Commission participation. The views, organizations, and individuals represented, interviewed, and discussed on the podcast do not necessarily represent an official position or formal partnerships with iTech.